I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. those superhero movies where Hollywood portrays the hero as this person of muscles and strength and superpowers and an inflated ego. Those are not the true superheroes. Today, you're going to listen to a real superhero. When she was a teenager back in 1944, she faced up against the worst evil the human race has ever known. As a Jew living in the Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe, she and her family were sent to Auschwitz, where, in a matter of hours, she witnessed her own mother being sent to the gas chamber. The way she handled the concentration camp from then onwards kept her and her sister alive. On May 4, 1945, a young American soldier noticed her hand moving slightly as she was buried under a number of dead bodies. He quickly summoned medical help and brought her back from the brink of death so that, as she sometimes says herself, she was saved to save so many others. Today, Edith Eager is a prolific author, a clinical psychologist. She holds a faculty appointment at the University of California, San Diego, and she has inspired millions for how to go through life despite life's harshness. I'm so excited sitting here waiting nervously for my hero. Because I believe this could be one of the most profound, meaningful conversations I will ever have. Hello, how are you? Hello. You are here. You are there. (laughs) This moment is one of the highlights of my life. Thank you. My late husband was bored. This is the absolute highlight of my life. You are so wonderful. So wonderful. And I want to start with a confession, to be honest. I love you so much. Like, I have so much love for you, even though we have never really met in person. But whenever, you know, I watch one of your talks or if we're talking on Zoom like this, I'm just in a constant state of a virtual hug. Like, I really, it's incredible who you are. It really is incredible. I feel it. We're going to have a wonderful, memorable interview. I already know. I feel it. Yeah, I really think you will change the life, as you always do, is probably every day of your life. You'll probably change the lives of tens of thousands today, just with your incredible essence, which is 
So unbelievable. I have one more confession before we, we start talking about this. I think you are the most attractive woman on planet Earth. <laughs> I swear in my heart, I do. I mean, even my beloved ex-wife, which is like the most amazing woman I've ever seen in life. When I look at you, I, I'm like, oh my God, look at her at 92. And I, I never understood because sometimes in your talks, you, you say that when you were younger, you didn't feel that you were as attractive as your sisters. I'd hate to see your sisters then. I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Well, my mother told me very seriously, I'm so glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> oh my God, did she and really? It's very important for people. There is such a thing as a generational legacy that we kind of take it from uh, generation to generation. And I'm not angry at my mom, but I became, you know, a very learned, uh, erudite uh, teenager. I had my own book club. I gave lectures on Freud and these kinds of things that I grew up very fast to to um, look at it as uh, a way to examine the lives. When did your childhood end? Yes, very important question. Yeah, because some children are uh, little boys are made to be mommy's little man and everybody loves you. You take the old people across the street, look at my son, but the son doesn't realize that the child is no longer here. I have to be a little man. I have to be responsible, especially when daddy goes to the military and you left mommy to take care of. And I think it's very important as we talk for people to look at this time in COVID-19 to take time out and inventory of their lives. Where are they now and how they can regroup and also make a decision how they want to live the rest of their lives and not to carry guilt because guilt is in the past and not Absolutely. to ask why questions, why? Because that requires a because. You're looking for reasons and then you don't know what to do with the reasons. So it's better to say what, what, and what do I want now and not to struggle between trying to somehow be loved by everyone. This is what happened to you, right? You, you, you were mommy's mother, weren't you? I mean, growing up. I was mommy's mother, and I remember uh, taking care of my mom and considered it a kind of a privilege that I was trusted with that, not realizing that I didn't go out and just kick the sand and, and just be a kid. And so I was always a kind of a very serious child. But I think that God put me in that family that I could also spend a lot of time alone. Because when I took care of my mom, I was doing uh, my um, responsible job. But I spent a lot of time alone. And I think in Auschwitz, I had those inner resources and functioned better not waiting something to happen outside. That's a good definition, actually, of a victim who's waiting for someone outside of them to come and set them free. 
And if that person or that thing doesn't come, then life is unfair, I'm the victim, rather than I'm in charge, yeah. I am a victim. A victim say, why me? Survivors say, what now? Yeah. I live in the present. I know. And I think young, I think young. So Edith, help me understand. So this happens to a lot of people. A lot of people actually sort of skip childhood for many reasons. Sometimes, you know, parents want us to be in charge. Sometimes parents want us to be serious. Sometimes parents want us to be who we're not. I mean, just if even if you think about it, they want us to study geography while maybe we want to play football. What would you say to a person that's grown up and forgotten their childhood? When you ask them and say, when did you stop being a child? What's the next step? I think it's very important to know that many of us give up our genuine self, our true self, to fit the family. Like if you're a firstborn child, my son-in-law got the Nobel Prize, and I did some research that most of our Nobel Prize winners are either firstborn children or only children. Interesting. Very interesting. They are the responsible one, and they have been a role model to their siblings. And then, is there a chance for me today at 53 to go back and visit my childhood and be a child again? That's the work I do. Grieving, feeling, and healing. You can't heal what you don't feel. I love that And sentence. I take your little hand and we revisit the places where you've been. But we don't get stuck there. We turn the corner and then we become our own observers. And that is very good to really gain an awareness. I also tell people, if you want to say anything, ask yourself. Is it kind? Is it really important? Is it very necessary? And if it's not, then don't say it, because no one throws on criticism. Don't say you're a handsome little boy, but you're too fat or too pimply. <laughs> yes. This is a, a very Western thing. It's, uh, it's called kiss, kill, kiss. Huh? It's like, you're so handsome, but uh, you're a bit fat, uh, but handsome nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, the reason I love you so much is I heard you once say this. You said to acknowledge that they were beautiful people too. You were talking about the Germans that imprisoned you in Auschwitz. And basically you were saying, I went back to acknowledge that they were beautiful people too. If I would have been born in Germany and someone told me that today Germany and tomorrow the world, the whole world, I would have been very enthusiastic little Nazi girl too. That level of forgiveness, Edith, is not human. So, you know, the story of someone who you were in your teens when you were taken to the concentration camp. 16. And within hours from getting there, your mother was taken away and you were told so harshly, so harshly that she must be burning in that chimney over there. And yet you still find not only forgiveness, but you use the word beautiful people too. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I, this is not human. Well, I think I had a very loving God, and I call it Tinkerbell, 
that free spirit who told me that these are beautiful children born with love and somebody brainwashed them. We're not born with hate. We learn it. And then we live what we learn. You learn. You were told, um, I was in Auschwitz told that I'm subhuman, that I don't deserve to live because I'm cancer to society. It goes back to Plato who says you have to think of a lie and it has to be a big one. And then you keep repeating, repeating until people believe it. So our biggest enemy is ignorance. I beg children and adults to question authority mm. rather than blindly adhering to authority. It's very important, especially in politics, to question authority, to question authority. You know, my hero is Churchill, uh, and Churchill uh, took a risk and told the world, we're going to fight. We're going to fight in the, the ocean. We're going to fight, you know. And, we shall and, never surrender. Yeah. And if it wouldn't have been Eisenhower getting together with Churchill and starting the Normandy invasion, I wouldn't be here with you. I'm so grateful because they came to get me. And that's how I am surviving today. And I'm here with you because I think I was saved so I could guide other people. I like the idea of being a spiritual midwife that many people <laughs> call me. I, yeah. I like that. I like to be a midwife to everyone and they can give birth and claim back to that precious, genuine self that you gave up for the family's needs. You sure have been to me, and I'm, I'm sure to many, many, many others. I wonder, though, if when you say you were saved because of Churchill, I mean, in an interesting way, if you don't mind telling us the story, you were also very much saved because of you, because of your actions, because of your attitude, because of, I mean, so if you don't mind me asking, you know, you are there, and I remember that moment, and it just hurts my heart every time I think about it. When someone harshly tells you your mother must be burning in that chimney and you hug your sister Magda and you say the spirit never dies. The spirit never dies, she told me, and that's how I entered Auschwitz. See, my sister was the pretty one. <laughs> You're stunning. I'm going to keep saying that. I tell you, she was the beautiful one. Even today she calls me and tells me I'm gorgeous. <laughs> and in Auschwitz, she looked at me there we stood right in, in our nakedness and she looked at me and asked me, how do I look? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I became her mirror. Mm. I always ask people before you see something, ask yourself whether it is complimentary, whether it is kind. So yeah. instead of telling her how she really looked, totally naked, naked and bald-headed, I told her, Magda, you have beautiful eyes, and I didn't lie. I said, you have such beautiful eyes, and furthermore, I didn't see it when you had your hair all over the place. So you see, you have a gift in everything. 
That's my second book is called The Gift. Yeah. Has anyone told you that when you were there? Has anyone told you, you know, helped you, supported you when you were going through all of this? I, I think we were there to support each other because if you were just for the me, me, me and your ego needs, uh, you didn't make it. I think it is very important for us to cooperate and not compete or dominate. And we had to really empower each other and form a family of inmates. Mm. Because when I danced for Dr. Mengele and he gave me a piece of bread, I could have gobbled it up myself. But thank God. I climbed up, I was on the top, there were three places, we were on the top. Cooperation was the name of the game and, and I took the bread and I shared it with the girls. And in May 1945, when I was in a death march and I was going to be shot when you stopped, the girls that I shared the bread with came and formed a chair with their arms. I can still picture it, and they carried me so I wouldn't die. But when we arrived in Gunskirchen, cannibalism broke out, and people were eating other people's flesh. I hope you never, ever experience such a thing. And I asked, I'd like you to see the sound of music, because it was there, and I asked to please help me. I don't want to touch another person's flesh. And Gad also told me, just look down. And I had grass to eat. And I remember today that I even chose one blade of grass over the other. So when I go to a class, I run to the blackboard and I put on a blackboard, I can't. And then I grab the eraser, I take the apostrophe, the T, I can. Why? Because I think I can. What I think, I create. You're not sad first and then you think. First you think and then you feel. So it's important to think about your thinking and paying attention what you're paying attention to. Because whatever you pay attention to, you actually reinforce the very behavior that you really want to extinguish. It's very important to think about your thinking. So you know what my thinking is? I'm, I apologize for... How, how, do, how does humanity become so low, Edith? How do we go so bad? What, yeah. what, makes, what makes a human take a wonderful 16-year-old yeah. and put her through this? I never understood that. Yeah. Well, you're a man and you use the word understand because our hemisphere is divided and that's why we women, we women can think and feel. I know. A man wants to understand and that is really belonging to academicians. They always want you to go to the classroom and talk about this, about that and to be sure that you don't feel the feelings, especially in America. Yeah. You know, you talk about the feeling, you medicate the feeling, you do everything with feeling except feel the feeling. 
And that's what grief is. You cannot heal what you don't feel. And crying is very healthy because what comes out of your body will never make you ill. In Hungary, they tell you, don't breathe into your breast. And when I know when I work with women with breast cancer, they are the kindest people. They don't want to bother anybody, even in a hospital. They don't want to tell the children anything. How are you? Fine. So I beg people, don't ask, how are you? It's the stupidest thing that you can do. People will say, fine. Yeah. yeah. People are hearing, but they're not listening. So don't ask, how are you? Don't say, how are you? Because people will lie. They tell you, fine, when they're not. So I'd rather say, geez, good to see you. I missed you. I like to make sentences rather than asking questions, especially why questions. Why is in the past? Why is a problem-oriented work? But still, still you didn't answer me. I mean, I've been very, you know, I don't know why, but the last couple of weeks of my life have been all about that era of humanity. When you, as a 16-year-old, have to go through the most horrendous terrors a human have to go through. And I've been watching that documentary of Oliver Stone, The Untold History of the United States. And just the feeling, the feeling for me is, I feel the pain of everyone, which is really too much. And, and, I, and I just don't, I can't comprehend how another human can see that happening to you. I mean, the sentence that makes me cry when I hear you saying it of they were beautiful people, I would have been like them too. The question in my mind is how, how does a human end up being like that? How does a human end up being so switched off from the suffering of others that they allow themselves to see this? See, when a country is experiencing economic problems, Somebody will come with lies. They're going to put a Volkswagen in every garage. They're yeah. going to put a chicken in every pot. See, you are an androgynous man. Androgynous means that you have the male and the female in you. There are not too many androgynous men. We have a lot of males. We have uh, grown boys. But you have the sensitivity of thinking and feeling for others. And I think that is not very common. I think the feminine side of me is, is A feeling... A good sex someone, if yeah. your female gets along with her male, you're going to have good sex. <laughs> True. <laughs> the challenge for me is the feminine side of me feels the empathy for every suffering then the masculine side of me is struggling to comprehend what the path of doing is. And it's, it's just shocking. It really is shocking how humanity can go so low sometimes. Because when we are hungry, we are brainwashed. Yeah. And we believe the lies. There is a book by Adorno, The Authoritarian Personality. He points out that America is ripe for fascism, that small-town USA will listen possibly to someone 
who is preaching about this and about that, and yeah. people question authority. We got to question authority, because when Ahmad Dijidat said the Holocaust didn't exist, that was he did not listen to Plato, and he did not read Plato as I did, because my mother told me that I have brains and I don't have looks. So I became a very learned uh, teenager, and Plato says you have to think of a lie. It has to be a big one, and then you keep repeating, repeating until people believe it. Can we not tell the truth and repeat it, repeat it? Can we not repeat the story of your, of your team carrying you through the death march to survive? Is that not the story we should tell? Well, I think it's important, and I owe it to my parents, because the, one of the most biggest a gift of God is a gift of memory. I want to tell people what happens when good people, when good people, unfortunately, give up their freedom and commit themselves. I remember that I had a boy who was 14 years old and he was a member of the white supremacy group. There was a guy way before you were born called David Koresh in Texas. And he wanted white America. And not that just Jews, but everybody who's not white, just like Hitler said. You have to be blue-eyed and uh, blonde hair, uh, and they kind of take over the world. So when I'm a child, I'm very impressionable. And how would you react if someone tells you that? I mean, child or not? I would say, thank you for your opinion. Mm. I would never defend myself. If somebody tells you that pink elephant scrolling on the wall, and yes, I work with schizophrenics, I say, tell me more. Or I just say, oh, oh, oh. But don't deny their truth because they give you their truth. There is no truth. It's all subjective. Oh, my God. You know what Shakespeare said? Shakespeare said, there is no such thing as right or wrong. Only thinking makes it makes so. It so. Yeah. That's why I beg of you. Think about your thinking. And you have that beautiful quality. The androgyny, andro, is for male, and Jean is like OBGYN. You know, there was a couple in uh, University of Texas who coined the word androgyny. And I wish I could remember their names because I was with them. And uh, that's what comes with age. I have a very good uh, long memory sometimes, but I'm losing the short memory. We love every memory that you share with us. Can I go back to a very difficult memory again as I follow your story? You danced for the angel of death. Yeah, did. And as you were dancing, you said he was assigning people to live or die during your dance. Pointing to take this one. And I began to pray, not for me. So I wouldn't be the next one to go. So you see, I was able to somehow guide him to change hatred into pity. 
I felt sorry for the guard that they were brainwashed. They were wearing a uniform. They would throw children in the oven without even gassing them. I actually prayed. How could any child become this person who is standing before me with a gun? But yet you still... Yet you still had the courage to stand and dance. You still had the courage to take that bread. Yes. How do you summon that? I closed my eyes and I imagined that the music was Tchaikovsky and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet. When I work with people who were sexually abused, they tell me how they closed their eyes and uh, how they were able to survive. I think it's very important to look at the way we look at everything. And in the English language, when someone is angry, you're going to hear the word you. You are stupid. So I tell children in school, when you hear you, you say to yourself, the longer they talk, the more relaxed I become. You take the negative stimuli, turn it into positive, and tell yourself, I'm practicing my low frustration tolerance level. So that's why don't call me shrink, call me stretch. And I hope <laughs> that I stretch everybody's comfort zone. And that's what I was able to practice in Auschwitz because I had no control over when they're going to throw me in a gas chamber. When I stood four o'clock in the morning, we never knew what's going to happen. And that's what's happening now in COVID. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And to be in a limbo is a very unfortunate position to be. We didn't have any guarantee that we're going to see the end of the day because we didn't know when we took a shower whether gas is going to come out or water. And so how did you handle that? What did you tell yourself? I, I said to myself, it's temporary and I can survive oh it. My God. And if I survive today, tomorrow I'm going to see my boyfriend because he told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands. I I say today to people, just be a good parent to you and celebrate your special, precious, one-of-a-kind you because there'll never, ever be another you. So it's all about today, isn't it? I associate so strongly with your story because I feel your pain going through it. But your approach to it is almost the opposite of Viktor Frankl's. For Viktor Frankl, you know, basically says it's about the why. It's about the purpose. You know, if you get the why, you understand all of the hows of life. It's a search for meaning. You're not saying that. Uh, well, he is, uh, he is quoting Nietzsche who said, you will uh, know the what if you have a why to live for, if you have a reason to live for and if you have a purpose. And I think that is actually what happened when I was liberated and they put me in a cast. And I realized that my parents are not coming back. 
So I didn't say what, I would say what for. And that is referred to as the existential vacuum, that, that you don't have a purpose in life and a purpose in your existence. Mm-hmm. And I don't take anything for granted because I know that I was chosen to survive so I can guide others to be survivors and not victims. I refuse to be a victim. It's not who I am. It's what was done to me. It's very important not to take things personally. Sometimes when people talk to you, all you have to put an eye in front of it because they're actually projecting to you. Especially if they feel stupid, they're going to call you stupid. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that what happens all the time? Yeah. Just don't take it personally. And so you're saved. And in your own words, you said, I have nothing but gratitude. Yes. So instead, you live in the now. I love the word grace, that you do something that you don't expect anything back because giving is getting. My late husband would go once a week to buy me papayas. And then he would cut up the papayas. And my daughter was in the University of Texas. He came home and he opened up the bedroom door and she declared that she was a communist. I don't think she knew a thing about communism, but she had long hair, she was a real hippie. And she saw me in the bed with my Christian day or nightgown, my husband sitting on the bed feeding me the papaya. I got the picture and she looked at me and she says, mother, you are disgusting. She didn't understand that I give my husband joy the pleasure to go to get my papaya from a guy called Chewy. He would go to visit Chewy, who saved the red papaya, that this was giving him the joy. She didn't have the maturity. Today she won't do that. She just looked at me like the little doll sitting there, not realizing, I think, there is one word that I have for codependency is immaturity. When a person assigns someone else the responsibility for their feelings. Because children blame. I'm angry because you do that and you do that and you... No, no one makes me angry. But when you're angry, chances are you have a lot of pain and a lot of fear. And you're not born with fear. We learn to fear. I believe that to be true 100%. I believe anger is the puffer fish making itself big or the, you know, cat hissing. This is, yeah, I am afraid of you. I want to scare you away with my anger, sort of. Yes, and then you create panic. And that works with many, many times in many countries. Yeah. Yes. I know you want me to continue, but I will stop here and perhaps ask you to go back and listen to this one more time. 
Edith has that tendency to drop a gold nugget of wisdom every two to three minutes, and there are so many more to come. So join us on the next episode, where I will go with Edith through three more journeys. The journey back to forgiveness, the road back to Auschwitz, and going through the valley of death. Edith will share how each of us can create the life of our dreams, despite the challenge and despite the hardship. She will talk to us about the biggest concentration camp. And why is it that some of us are using the current uncertainty of COVID-19 to make the best versions of themselves and why others are failing to find happiness? And then at the end of the next episode, you will hear what she has to say about Ali. Please remember that the only way we can change the world and make a billion people happy is for you to play your part. So if you've enjoyed this so far, please take a minute to rate it a five stars on your podcast player. This will act as a marker for others to know that there is inspiration to be found here. Follow me on social media. I am mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook, mgaudet on Twitter, and mogaudet on LinkedIn. And please share with me openly what you think I can do to make this a better experience with you. Share with me what you think of those conversations and how they have affected you. And tag me while you share about this podcast for others so that together we can reach as many people as we can. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.